Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Hope you guys are all awake out there. I know it's a gloomy morning here in McKinney, Texas, but it, and it's cold outside, but we're nice and warm in my beautiful home in McKinney. And just thank you for everybody for joining us here, and thank you for joining me online, coming all over the world from SoundCloud and wherever else you're visiting us from. Thank you for joining us today. and Pray that the Lord enlighten you and bless you with many spiritual blessings today. Um, if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer uh, before we start our service, I always like to pray and ask God to bless the message. That way, you know, I know His blessings on it and it's His word. So He, he feeds us that way through His word and he, he blesses us with many great spiritual, with a lot of great spiritual wisdom through His word too. So let's ask, as James 1 5 says, ask without uh, doubting for wisdom today and see if the Lord, uh, we'll, we'll see what the Lord has to say to us. So, Lord, we just come before you right now, and we just thank you so much for your wisdom and your knowledge that you give. Thank you for all the many blessings that you give us in our lives, Lord. Thank you for this home and this church, and thank you for my family and all my beloved ones all over the world, and thank you just for every good and perfect gift that comes from above. We do ask that you would put your blessing on this teaching today, Lord, and help my mouth to teach accurately and wisely and Lord help me to speak clearly Lord and and just inspired by your Holy Spirit that the words that I speak out of my mouth Lord God would be the words that you want me to say I pray that you would teach us dear God you you by your Holy Spirit would teach us Lord for there's one teacher the Christ and you teach us by your spirit so I pray Lord God that you would teach us truth today out of your word and and fill us with your wisdom, Lord. And we ask without doubting, Lord. And your word says that you will give to liberally to all that ask for wisdom. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this beautiful day. And we thank you for everything that you do for us, Lord. We love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you guys want to turn to Matthew chapter 21, we're going to be in verses 20. Through 22 today. So Matthew chapter 21, verses 20, 21, and 22. I'll read them, but before or right after my thoughts from last week's message Is Jesus Christ the real Jewish Messiah? So I mentioned last week in last week's message that there were many more prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled from the Old Testament or the ancient Jewish scriptures, also called the Tanakh outside of Isaiah chapter 53. I made that statement. Well, as I was looking this week, this is what the Lord put on my heart for a, you know, a recap of last week, just, a, you know, just a, another thrust of truth. As I started looking, I don't think the term many more emphasizes just how many prophecies from the Tanakh or Jewish Bible that Jesus Christ actually fulfilled. Why do I say that? Well, the number of actual prophecies that he fulfilled from the Old Testament, Christian Old Testament, or Jewish Tanakh, is in the dozens. From details of his birth, you know, the foretelling of his birth, the details around that, the details of things that he did in his ministry, and even the details of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. There's literally dozens of prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled from that ancient scripture that he fulfilled by his coming. And many of his prophecies that he fulfilled, many of the prophecies that he fulfilled, excuse me, were prophecies that were out of his control. For instance, he in his birth had no choice where he was born. He had no choice of the family line that he was born from. He had no choice where he died or how he died. He had no choice of those things. Those things were out of his control. So many of these prophecies that Christ fulfilled from the Old Testament were without even, they were not even in his own control. They were others that did things to him that fulfilled the prophecies of the ancient scriptures. If you don't believe me in this statement I make about there being literally dozens of prophecies that he fulfilled, you can actually go on Google. You know, pretty much everybody has Google or Bing or Yahoo and just type in, how many prophecies did Jesus Christ fulfill? 
Now, you'll go on there and you might see something right away and you think, that pastor lied to me. Well, I'll tell you right now, I'm not lying to you. You'll actually see websites that come up that literally say there are three to 400 prophecies that Christ fulfilled. But as I looked on their websites and I, and I looked more in depth before I spoke a lie to you, because I don't want to lie, I want to tell the truth. Many of these, what they call prophecies that they say Jesus Christ fulfilled in their three to 400 that they say he fulfilled, weren't really prophecies that he fulfilled. Rather, they were just similarities between what Old Testament scripture said and his life. They were kind of, you know, very close instances where something happened to somebody else and then it also happened to Jesus. And they said, well, that's a prophecy. Well, that's not really a prophecy. I and mean, that is some foreshadowing, but it's really not prophecy. Prophecy is when God speaks something hundreds and thousands of years before something happens, and then it comes to pass just like God says it was supposed to happen. For instance, you know, uh, you know where he was supposed to be born, and what family line he was supposed to be born from, and how he was supposed to die, and what was going to happen at the cross, Psalm 22, and just different things. But uh, literal, real things that God said were going to happen to the Messiah, dozens were fulfilled by Christ. You can just Google that yourself if you'd like. I encourage, I encourage you, in fact, to search it out for yourself anyway. If you doubt the reality of his dozens of actual fulfillments and Christ really being the one and true real deal Jewish Messiah, uh, you can go on one. I, I was just on, in fact, this morning, uh, BibleStudy.org in their Prophecies Jesus Fulfilled section. It was great and it was simple. One side they had, you know, what he did and in, in the or what what the prop, you know, what the prophecy was about the Messiah in the Old Testament or in the Tanakh of the Jewish Bible and the other side was what Jesus did and how he fulfilled them. Real simple, real neat, not, you know, wasn't the real cluttered, it wasn't real nasty, it was just kind of just real neat and just nice little questions down through the middle and that's just one site you can go to, but there's literally like I said, dozens that he fulfilled in the Old Testament or the Jewish Tanakh that he fulfilled in the New Testament in his coming. The Bible says, seek and you shall find. If you seek, God will allow you to find things like I found, like I'm telling you about now. If you, you will find, I should say, mind-blowing evidence, if you seek, or real proof proving that Jesus Christ did fulfill an incredible number of messianic prophecies, all showing him to be the one, him to be the, the savior of the world, him to be the Messiah. Then if you want to go and even above that, you want to keep seeking, I just told you dozens, there's actually one more little interesting seek that you can do. You can actually seek out the odds, the, the mathematical probability of him fulfilling all those prophecies just as a coincidence. Or, or by chance, okay? Just like, what, what are the mathematical probabilities against one guy fulfilling, let's say, five of those prophecies that were written hundreds and thousands of years before he came? I mean, the, the numbers are, are through the roof. I'm talking like stack quarters up a mile high and around the whole moon kind of thing and pick out the one with a, you know, whatever in it. it it's like literally like that, mind-blowing. Your mind will melt when you realize what it actually took for this one guy to fulfill all these different prophecies about this one man that was foretold in the Old Testament to come to be the Savior of the world. Anyone, I'll, be, I'll say this, anyone that's honest with themselves after examining the evidence of Christ being the Messiah in prophecy in Scripture just has to admit that Jesus Christ is the promised Jewish Messiah and the real deal Savior of the world. You know, there's only one that knows the future. Only God knows the future. I don't know the future. You don't know the future. Nobody on this planet can tell you right now what's going to happen 10 years from now, let alone 500 years from now or 600 years from now or 4,000 years from now. Nobody's gonna, nobody could tell you what's in the future of your life. Nobody on this earth. Only God knows the future. And prophecy is where God points out something that's going to happen in the Old Testament or years and hundreds of thousands of years before, and it comes to pass. All I can say is, if you doubt, check it out for yourself. The results are life-changing if you don't harden your heart to the truth. 
Just be careful not to go into your investigation with them with your mind made up not to believe like those we read about last week. Remember Matthew 21:15 where Jesus was doing all these, you know, he was healing all these people. He had just rode into Jerusalem on the donkey and he was cleansing the temple. And as he cleansed the temple and drove out the evil wicked do, you know, the evil people and as he cleansed the temple, he was healing people in the midst and the children were saying, you know, you know, giving him praise, and then the religious leaders stepped in. The chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And what happened? They were indignant. Even though they saw the proof of his messiahship, they still didn't believe because they refused to believe, despite the hard evidence that they had seen. So if you doubt this truth of Christ... And investigate it for yourself and see you're wrong and find the proof of him really being the savior of the world, then don't doubt him anymore. Repent. Remember? Have a mind change. Realize I'm wrong. God's right. Wow. Jesus is the one that came to save me from my sins. He is the one that the Bible foretold and not anyone else. Not me and not anybody else. It has to be him. Come to repentance. Surrender to your life to Him and believe and don't fool around with Him anymore. Get away from that nonsense and walk toward the truth. All right. Anyway, praise God. I want to get on to today's message. Our title of today's message is God is not a genie. Title of today's message again, God is not a genie. If you will with me, or you can listen along, Matthew chapter 21, verses 20 through 22. I'm going to read them, and then we'll talk about them. Matthew chapter 21, verse 20. And when the disciples saw it, and this would be the cursing of the fig tree, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt... You will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it'll be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Okay? Backing up two weeks to set our scene. Remember, Jesus, we just talked about it, but we're going to go through it again just to set up our scene for today, for this message. Jesus Christ goes into the temple destroys the false religious people's work because they're using his house, remember, the temple, or God's temple, as a place to make money. Religious leaders get angry with him and confront him. Jesus responds to their accusations, their their nasty things that they said against him, and they shut their mouths, get shut. Remember that? We talked about that last week, how that was something that would, you know, the Messiah was going to shut the mouths of those that talked to him. He and the disciples leave the temple, go to Bethany, When they return in the morning, Jesus is hungry, tries to eat the fruit off the fig tree because it's deceivingly good for fruit, but doesn't find any, so he curses it and causes it to wither away. So, where are we today? Disciples are with him this whole entire time. They are with him when he's riding into Jerusalem on the donkey or the colt, the foal of the donkey, and they're with him when he goes into the temple and he he clears out and he dumps over the money tables and, and... Cast the people out, and he's they're with him then. They're with him when he go, they're, they're with him when he goes to Bethany, and they're with him when he comes back, and even to the cursing of the fig tree. They're standing right there with him. We pick up this week with the reaction of the disciples to the fig tree being withered once they see it. Read verse twenty quickly again with me. What is their reaction to Jesus Christ withering the fig tree? Verse twenty. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So they see the fig tree withered away. They're amazed. And and I'll guarantee you that any one of us would also be amazed if we saw the same thing. Wow! You mean it was just there? Oh my gosh, and then it's withered? It's gone? Holy camoly, how did it happen? That'd be my question too, Lord. Lord, how did it happen? So they get, they marveled and they, they just can't believe it. They're so amazed and they respond in the action that would show us that Jesus actually withered the fig tree. It wasn't something he just did and it 
allegory or made an allegory or just, you know, made a lesson. He actually caused the fig tree to wither to the ground and become nothing. Now, in this section of scripture, I have a quick note. I feel like God wants me to talk to some skeptics out there or some critics. You see, because there's, a, there's, there's something in this scripture, and it's parallel in Mark 11, that's not quite exactly the same. Mark 11 is the parallel passage to Matthew chapter 21. You know, this section here, actually, it goes, it goes from a little bit here. And it goes from him coming into Jerusalem and on the colt and so on and so forth. It's a parallel passage. But you see, with this particular instance, with Jesus cursing the fig tree, Mark puts the details of these events in Matthew 21 in different order. Well, you may be saying, that's a contradiction. See, I knew it. The Bible's fake. The Bible's wrong. It's, it's, it's out of order. It's out of order. It, it's, it, that's ridiculous. You know, you're, you would just preach that false Bible, and you may be saying that to yourself. I know these accounts don't match up, and you're right. Mark 11 and Matthew 21, they differ. The details of what happened to Christ or what Christ did are a little different. But I have this to say to you and I'll explain. In these two sections of Scripture, we see small differences in the small details of what Jesus did going into the temple. I'll discuss that in a moment. But they're really small and they're really irrelevant. And why do I say that? Well, the core details of this section of Scripture are the very same, just in different order. Jesus goes into the temple. While he's in the temple, he drives out the evildoers. He curses the fig tree. It withers away. The disciples see it. Jesus tells them, you know, how he did it. That's, those are the major, major details of this section of Scripture. The only major difference is, is Mark puts the fig tree cursing before the cleansing of the temple, and then the disciples see it after they leave the temple and go to Bethany for the night and come back in the morning. But these little details are irrelevant. And I say that again, because the major details of the scripture are all there. God allowed Matthew to remember it one way, and God allowed Mark to remember it another way. But I think that we actually can take Mark's account as the more chronologically accurate one by one little detail that we see in verse 20 that is very easily missed, but we can pick up on it if we know what we're reading. In verse 20, Matthew says, and so in 18 and 19, Jesus curses the fig tree and it withers away. 20, in Matthew, it just seems as if the disciples see it right away. But if you read verse 20 over in Matthew, just the beginning of it, real quick, you'll see that even Matthew alludes that Mark's account is more chronologically accurate. Accurate, excuse me. Read verse 20. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying. Matthew alludes there to, they did not, he does not say, and immediately when they saw the fig tree wither away. He says, and when the disciples saw it. So you see that even Matthew there doesn't hold to the fact that they saw it right away. And when the disciples saw it, well, they saw it the next morning after he did it that night. Of course, the fig tree started withering away right away. But then the fact that the disciples didn't see it till the next morning really has no bearing on anything. The major details of the section are the same. The minor details of time don't matter. The fact is, is that these things happen. Both disciples record it. They'd record the same major details, period, the end. I love little neat things like that in Scripture. But people that are looking for an excuse not to believe in God's Word really make big deals out of these things. You know, when you look at four different people's perspective on a lot of the same type of things that happened in Jesus' life, the fact is, is that even skeptics would have complained if they would have been four Gospels with the same words in every sentence, in every single sentence, in every single chapter, in every single you know, verse and chapter. They would say, well, all they did was copy from one another. Because, you know, again, just like the, just like the religious leaders that we read about last week, or two weeks ago, excuse me, okay? Just like those, just like those religious leaders. If you want to refuse to believe, you can refuse to believe. There's always going to be an element of... Well, I'm just not, I mean, I, I, I believe it, but, you know, there's got to be some faith there. But if you just choose to not believe, 
if you're a skeptic or if you're an unbeliever, and you can pick anything in Scripture. Well, that word uh, the was put, you know, two spaces down. You know, it, it, you can find anything. God will allow it. But the truth is the fact that four people saw the life of Christ, wrote four Gospels, and all four of those Gospels are so closely similar but not exactly alike. And this is just an awesome thing that these four people saw Jesus' life and saw these all these awesome details that all were, you know, that aligned together. That's that's an awesome proof of the Bible to me. Anyway, I love things like that, little things in scripture like that. Back to our study for today. Okay? The fig tree. So the disciples see the fig tree withered, and they get amazed. And verse 20 tells us that in their amazement, they ask the question to Jesus. How did it happen so soon? Notice the disciples did not ask why he did it, but how did it happen? I see here that the disciples did not get the underlying or hidden a hidden meaning or message that Jesus was giving about the fig tree. They just saw the how. Wow, they were so amazed at it happened. They didn't have all this scripture laid out before them that they could look before and they could look after. They were living in the moment with Christ, so they just wanted to know how. We covered the why last week. You know, I believe that that fig tree, there was more to it than Jesus just getting angry with a tree and withering it away. But we're, today they ask how. They just see the fig tree withered away and Jesus curses it, you know, because Jesus cursed it. And they just ask him how, you know, how did it happen so soon? So what does Jesus do? He answers them with the how in verses 21 and 22. And in a nutshell, we'll go over in a moment. We'll go over them in a moment. He tells them that he did it by faith. Faith was the driving factor of how this fig tree was withered away. But I see here, and this is a note for us too, when we're praying, when we're asking things of God, they ask how, not why. Okay? What does Jesus give them? He gives them the how and not why. When you ask God or Christ a specific question, Lord, why is this such a thing like this? Well, he's going to give you the why. If you ask him the how, he's going to give you the how. Just remember when you're praying, when you're talking to God, when you're asking for wisdom or understanding, remember to ask him the specifics. Lord, why, why is this like it is? And, you know, seek his face on it, and, and eventually he'll tell you the why. Or if you ask him the how, he'll give you the how. So specifically, just how did Jesus say he made the fig tree wither? We're going to read verses 21 and 22 again, and we're going to dig into them. How did he say he did it? Verse 21, Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, there's that word faith again, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever, Jesus says, whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Again, in a nutshell, by faith or trust in God. He says that I made this fig tree wither by faith or by my trust in God. That's what faith means. Faith is trust in God. He says, without doubting. And this is how he caused the fig tree to wither. I used to have a friend that said all the time, God is big on faith. And you know what? That phrase pretty much hits how God looks at faith, for us having faith, right on the proverbial head. God is big on faith. So, here, Jesus Christ tells them, and to us also, because the scripture is for everyone, okay, that if we have faith in God or trust Him completely, when we ask Him for something in prayer, even to the moving of a mountain, then we shall receive it. Interesting note before we go forward, Jesus never once recorded in his ministry ever moved a mountain by faith. Just keep that in mind. Never did Jesus say, mountain, be removed from here. By my faith, I command you, and then it happened. In fact, if you remember correctly, when Lazarus had died, 
Mary and Martha's sister, Mary and Martha's brother. Jesus walked up to the tomb and he asked the people that were there, roll the stone away from the tomb. If this were what people read it to be, we're going to get to that in a moment, Jesus would have just said, stone in front of the tomb of Lazarus, move away. And it would have, but yet he asked people to do it and it did it. So Jesus never once caused a mountain to move into the sea in his own ministry. So he says this in this scripture in Matthew 21 here. This is what he also said in the this, in this section of scripture and in the parallel verses in Mark 11, 22 through 24 in the parallel passage. We read, so Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. In the same context. Remember, this is the parallel passage in Mark. For assuredly, I say to you, <clears throat> whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask in prayer, you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So, the Bible just told us there in Matthew 21 and Mark 11, we pray to God and have faith. He will give us whatever we want. He'll give it to us. That's what we just read. There can be no clearer reading of or, or understanding of these scriptures that we just read than what I just said, right? And that's pretty much on the, on, on the, on the head here. Matthew 21, 22. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. You can't argue that, right? Well, we just read, pretty plain, pretty, you know, just right there, letters, whatever you want, you can get, just believe you can have it, and you can have it. Well, if you only took these couple of scriptures as standalones, I call them, or these specific two different sections of scripture all by themselves, and you discount everything else in the whole entire Bible that's written about God and faith and believing and so on and so forth, then yes, That is what you will read. You will read that exactly what Jesus said. Whatever you want, just believe and have faith and you can have it. But if you compare what Jesus said here with what the rest of the Bible says and even what Christ says himself on on these same matters in other places in Scripture, then you will find some problems. You see, these Scriptures, just taken as they are, without any care of or reference to any other scriptures in the Bible, sure make God Almighty, the Heavenly Father, sound like some kind of a genie, don't they? Just believe and ask God in prayer for whatever you want, and you can have whatever you want. Kind of sounds like this term I came up with. Just rub this magic lamp and make a wish. And you will get whatever you desire, Master. I googled this phrase. You can do it too. I don't know if your Google searches will come up with the same as mine, but I came up with some references to the Disney movie Aladdin and the genie in the bottle stuff. Okay, That's what I came up when I Google searched that term. Just rub this magic lamp, Master, and make a wish, and you will get whatever you desire. Right? So... The idea here is, was Jesus really saying that all we have to do is have faith in God and pray, and whatever we want, we'll just have? Is that what he was really saying? Was Jesus telling us that God is like some kind of genie? Just pray, and all you got to do is believe you'll have it. Rub your lamp, genie God, and whatever we ask for, we can just get as long as we believe. Well, if you ask a whole bunch of so-called Christians in America today and and really all over the world, that is exactly what they'll tell you. They'll tell you that, hey, Matthew 21, 21 and 22 and Mark 11, Jesus says, whatever you ask for in prayer, just believe it. You can have it. That's what they'll tell you. And in fact, you really, as I've been told, from people in other countries, you can actually go to people in other countries and this this doctrine or teaching is actually engulfing Christianity all over the world. This is a very strong and dangerous belief in America and 
has polluted much of the main world of Christianity. The, the belief goes by some different names today. This belief goes by name it, claim it. Or other people say, well, just blab it and you can grab it. Just speak whatever you want and just believe it and claim it and then you can have it. Name it, claim it, or blab it, grab it. Or another word for it would be the prosperity gospel. And those are just a few names. If you were interested, you could look those up. And this is what that this is what these people believe. Now, this is a dangerous doctrine or teaching that has many who believe that, that has many people who believe in it. But is this truly biblical doctrine? Is this truly biblical, godly teaching? I know what Jesus says here, but is this truly biblical and godly teaching? Is God like a genie? Can we just rub our magic Bible lamp and cause God to just give us anything we want because we cause Him to, because He has to, because we have faith? Well, I say no. God is not a genie, is where the title of this message came from. And despite what we may read here that Jesus says, God does not just grant the prayer of any that pray in faith for whatever they want, as many in our world teach today. Now, before you get hot under the collar, if you're out there and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I believe that and you're wrong, Pastor, and it makes me angry, I'm going to shut you off. Well, before you shut me off, because I know you can, on the internet, you can just click the red X in the corner and then I'm gone. It's not fair to me just to say that this, interpreta- this interpretation of mine of this scripture is wrong without showing you in the Bible why I believe it's wrong and it's unbiblical. So if you believe in this name it, claim it, or prosperity gospel, or, or blab it, grab it interpretation of this scripture, and you are offended at what I just said, hold on for a little bit longer, don't red X me off just yet, and hear me out. I'm going to take the next part of this message to show you why I believe that the name it, claim it belief of this scripture is wrong. Okay, And I'm going to take you to other scriptures where God says some things that are different about what you know this scripture may, people may think it means. Because it's very easy to say, well, right there, Jesus just said it. Jesus just said, if I have faith and I believe whatever I want, I can have. But does the Bible as a whole teach that? Or are we just misreading what Jesus is saying here? I want you to start in the Old Testament. You can write these scriptures down if you want, look at them later, or you can go turn to them now. We're going to start at Psalm 66, verses 18 and 19. And you may even agree with this one. You may be saying, oh, I know this, Pastor, and I I already went to this one. I already know what it says. But if you're not there, turn to it or write it down. Look it up later. Psalm 66, 18 and 19. The Bible says, actually, the prophet King David writing, and he writes, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. We say, but Pastor Ed, he's not even talking about prayer there. What do you mean? Iniquity is sin, in case you didn't know. That means if I regard or hold sin in my heart, like, oh, cherish it. Oh, I love sin. Then it says here, then the Lord will not hear. But is he talking about prayer? Yes. Verse 19. But certainly, David writes, God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. So this context of these couple verses here is sin. And it's also talking about prayer. So now, if we just take what Jesus said, believing and you can have whatever you want in prayer, just ask and believe and you can have it. David, who was, God called him, a man after my very own heart says, right here, that if I pray... But I regard, I'm holding after sin in my heart. I'm cherishing sin in my heart. God won't hear me. So that means that if I cherish sin in my heart and I pray, I won't get what I want because if God won't hear you, he's not going to give you whatever you want because he's not hearing you. 
Duh, if your ears are closed or you're in a, if you're in a room that doesn't allow sound and somebody's, if somebody's talking to you, they're not going to hear you. They can't give you what you want if they can't hear you. So strike one for the prosperity gospel. Okay, Whatever I want, believing. So if I have sin in my life and I cherish sin in my heart, I can believe all I want that I'm going to get that new Rolls Royce. Or that new mansion in Beverly Hills. Or that brand new car that I really want. Lord, please give me that nice new car that I want. I believe it. I can have it. Bible says here, you won't have it. Because God won't hear your prayers. You can believe all you want, but you won't receive it. Strike one for this being a, a literal interpretation of what Jesus said here. Or you could say a misunderstanding of what Jesus taught here. Strike number two. You say, well, that's the Old Testament, Pastor Ed. Jesus came and wiped out all sin, and now it doesn't matter. Jesus said, and you know, the New Testament and Christ's blood, that's fine. I understand that was the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? What about the New Testament? What about, in fact, other places that Jesus spoke? Well, I have two of them here for you. You can turn your Bible over just a few chapters, well, 10 chapters or so, to Matthew 7, verse 11. Where Jesus himself says on this same topic, he's talking to his disciples. And he's talking, he says, If you then, being evil, speaking of Christians, his disciples, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father who is in heaven, or will your Father who is in heaven, excuse me, give good things to those who ask him? So we see here, and we also know that the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Right? It comes from the Father of lights. Well, now what if you ask something bad for yourself? You may think it's good for you, but what if you ask something bad for yourself? Well, we know here that every good and perfect gift comes from above, and here Jesus says that the Father who is in heaven gives good things to those who ask him. So I know you may think, oh, this is good for me. But the Bible really says that people don't really know what's good for them. God knows what's good for people, not we know what's good for ourselves. So what if when we're praying and we're believing, we're believing and praying and asking for something that is bad for us? Is is our Heavenly Father who only gives good gifts to those who ask Him, is He going to give us bad Well, of course not. God can't give bad. He only gives good gifts. He only gives good things from above. Strike two. For I can believe anything I want and just pray for it and just just have it. Here's strike number three, John 14, 12 through 14. Jesus says, in in a sense, the same words, but he puts a little extra on there. He says in John 14, 12 through 14, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. That's encouraging. That means that the same exact miracles that Jesus did, we, if we're real believers in him, can do those same works. And he says then, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Now, if we just stop there, we would think, well, there you go, Pastor. I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus himself said, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do. Unless you just read the next words that he records or that are recorded after that. He says here, totally, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Then he goes on to say, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You see, If we ask for something and we believe on something, but it doesn't glorify the Father in the Son, is God going to give it to us here? Because Jesus put that stipulation on your belief and asking in prayer. He said, you can believe and you can ask, but here he said, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, not Whatever you want, just ask and believe and you'll have it because, oh boy, you have faith and God's your personal genie. No, I'm sorry. That is not quite how it works. There's a stipulation there. We actually have a couple more. Strike number four. 
for the name it, claim it, or prosperity gospel. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. John writes in his epistle, Now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we have asked of him. You see how it's the same wording. It's the same idea. The disciple John knows that if we pray in faith and we ask God, we can have if we ask according to his will. He did not say, as we misunderstand Jesus here, that we can pray and have whatever we want just because we believe really hard. I can have whatever I Oh, Lord, I believe it. I have faith. I can have that brand new Rolls Royce. I can have that brand new Mercedes Benz. Hallelujah. I claim that. No. John said, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. How do we know that a Mercedes Benz for my family would be good for me? How do I know that that's God's will? What if God's will is something else for me? Not everybody is rich among Christians. Not everybody's poor. We have rich Christians and we have Christians that God just allows to get by and allows them to survive and allows them to just prosper in the daily things of life, not to have big houses and big mansions and big fancy cars. We have Christians all over the spectrum, all over the world. We have Christians in China and Russia who, 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 don't even, who probably don't even have a car at all. In fact, they don't even probably have heat in their house, maybe, because they live in a very poor country. Okay? So here we see that it has to be the stipulation of if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And what if we ask something that's not according to his will? Well, then he's not going to give it to us is what John just said. He's not going to give it to us if it's not of his will. If we're in sin, if the Father doesn't get glorified in the Son. Let's go on. One more. James addresses the same, the, the same problem in his lifetime in James 4, 1 through 3. James writes about this same problem. Because yes, I believe that this prosperity gospel has been going on since James lived in his earthly life. James was the half-brother of Jesus, also a disciple. James writes in chapter 4, verses 1 through C, and he says, Excuse me, James 4, 1 through 3. I get so excited when I'm talking... Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members? So that's why we war and we fight, because we have these desires in our members, and that's true. Verse 2, he says, you lust and do not have. That means you want something, you lust for it, but you don't have it. He says, you murder and covet, but cannot and cannot obtain. You fight and war. And he tells us the very first problem that they were having in his day. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. Say, so the first problem they were having is they were wanting things, but they were not asking God for them. They were not praying about it. I'm big on that. Whenever my family comes to me and they have a problem, I myself hold myself to this rule. Oh, daddy, daddy, daddy. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, daddy, 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 daddy. Oh my gosh, I've lost this. Oh honey, how are we going to do this? Or oh honey, how are we going to do this? Oh well, you know, I don't know. And I always stop. Hey, I just got a question for you. Did you pray about it? And I'm almost sure that my family gets really tired of me saying that, but it's true. It's biblical. James, you do not have because you do not ask. We're supposed to carry everything in prayer unto God. Everything. The Bible says, not some things, not a couple, all things we're supposed to carry in prayer unto God. So James had that number one problem. How James relates to today, how James saw the prosperity gospel in his day and age, verse 3 is the second problem. He says, you ask and do not receive, so now, they're, now they are praying and they are not receiving. Well, they were having that problem in his day too. Because, he says, you ask amiss. 
Well, you might be saying, well, pastor, that's because he didn't have faith. No, that's not what he says. And you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. James right there says, you are asking for things only so that you can have them, but you're not, but you're not getting them. The, well, the reason you're not getting them is because you only want them to pleasure you. So, if what Jesus said here in 20, Matthew 21, 21 and 22 was accurate, and all we had to do was believe in God that he was going to give us these things and have faith with all our hearts that he was going to give us things, and then we would, get, we would have it. So, name it, claim it, or blab it, grab it, or prosperity gospel, whatever other name you might want to call it. Then James just said here, people in his day were having the same, having the problem of, well, I believe and I have faith, but I'm not getting. Well, I'm not getting. How come James says you're not getting? Because you're asking wrong. You're asking so that you can be pleasured. So here, these people in James' day were having the same problems. They were misunderstanding what Jesus said. And thinking, well, I can just pray whatever I have, whatever I want, because I can ask. And Jesus said, if I just ask, and I believe, and I have faith, it's mine. But James, strike, I believe that's number five for the name it, claim it gospel. James just says, if you're asking for your pleasure, you won't receive. Even if you believe with all your heart and have faith, and you trust in God, I really want that to... James says you won't have. Now, when we take all these scriptures together, along with the words of Christ in Matthew 21, 21 and 22, we see that there are stipulations to the prayer of faith that God will answer. Not just as corrupt as whatever we want, and God the Father, the great genie of the great beyond, will grant it for us. This belief that mankind has come up with is wicked. It's actually caused people to fall away from their faith because they'll say things like, well, if you just didn't get it, that's because there's sin in your life. You know, David said, you know, if you regard iniquity in your heart, oh, God will not hear you. Well, yeah, I believe that too. Yet, a loving father and a loving God will tell you if you're doing something wrong so that he can correct you, not allow you to just keep on going on in sin just because, you know, oh, well, I guess they're sinning. I'm not going to save them. I don't care about them. So that's not exactly, exactly accurate. This belief of I can have whatever I want just because I pray and ask is a wicked one. This belief of name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. Here's what it does. It puts the one and true God of all creation in bondage and slavery to us. You see, in this false belief and misunderstanding Jesus' words here in Matthew 21, we not we now are the ones in control of God. And He has to obey us in whatever we ask Him because we have faith. And not we have to obey Him in what He asks or commands us to do and be His willing slave and His servant. This idea, this false teaching upon these verses like this, make God our genie and our slave. This belief is not biblical and turns the tables on God and mankind. You see, many dangerous ideas, many dangerous ways that churches have gone today have come from just taking one verse or a couple verses from the whole Bible without consulting the whole Bible as a whole, and they make whole doctrines or teachings of it. And this is one of them, guys. Because guess what? God is not your genie. He's not anybody's genie. He is king of all creation. God Almighty, the Heavenly Father, the one in control. Now, saying all this, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not against faith. Okay, I'm not an anti-faith teaching pastor. 
I believe in faith, okay? The Bible talks about faith. We have 1 Peter 1, 5. We are kept by the power of God through faith. Hey, what, is, what is he saying? Okay, you get saved. That takes faith, okay? And then how you're kept by God, how you continue to walk with God, is through that same faith that you got saved in. You can't ever abandon faith or ultimate total trust in God. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, without faith it's impossible to please God. Okay? So we can't even be pleasing to God unless we have total, total, utter trust in Him, which is what faith is. Faith is a piece of your relationship with God, and without it you can't get saved or stay saved for that matter. You have to stay walking in faith from the moment you get saved to the day that you're before God and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant, come in, enter into the joy of the Lord. Without faith, those prayers that even are God's will or that even glorify the Father and the Son, they're not going to get answered because God is pleased with your faith. God is pleased when you completely trust in him. So please understand, I do not speak against faith. I just speak against the false light that bad teaching on faith has put on God the Father, who is not a genie. Bible says again about faith, James 1, 5-8, I mentioned it earlier in the sermon. James says in, chapter, in his chapter 1, verse 5 through 8, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So God's desire is for you to have wisdom in him. But if you ask for that wisdom from God, but you doubt, God won't give it to you. Or for that matter, you could also say, by what everything else we read today, that if you ask something that's God's will but you don't even believe you're going to get it, even though it's his will, guess what? The Bible says you won't have it. So we cannot say we negate faith. Faith is a must. Total trust in God when we pray, when we talk to him, when we hope for the future, when we hope in him, this is what he desires. But in no way do we read what Jesus says here, can we read it all throughout the Bible, that God is a genie. And he's bound to give us whatever we want just because we have faith. Jesus does say here in Matthew 21 21 and 22 and elsewhere that we can have the things that we request if there's no sin in our life. If If we don't regard, I should say, sin in our heart. If we're asking according to his will. If we're praying and the Father gets glorified in the Son. If we follow these stipulations. And if we seek God's heart. And if we're looking at what God desires us to have in Scripture. And we ask for those things. And the Bible says if we ask in faith, we shall have them. Not, I can have whatever I want. I can ask God to have faith because I just want millions of dollars and I want to be rich and, you know, I want this and I want this and I want this because you won't get that because God is not a genie. So if you're listening to this message and you were offended with my teaching, I am sorry. And I do apologize that what I said offended you. But I am not sorry about the truth of the whole of God's word. Okay, God's word is God's word, and I don't make it up. Jesus and the disciples and prophets and men of God that God God has used for hundreds and thousands of years, they're the ones that spoke from God just like I am now. They knew God's character. I know God's character. I'm reading to you from what they said and not focusing on one scripture 
just because it benefits me a whole bunch. I won't do that. To those people are reserved the deepest, darkest pits of hell forever. Those who use God's word for gain. The Bible speaks about that. And God's people warn the people about that. Don't you dare use God's word for gain. And what will be reserved for you is an everlasting fire forever and ever and ever if you teach God's word falsely, as so many are in our world today, preaching the same section of scripture in a wrong way, making God out to be some almighty genie. And this is not godly, and it's not biblical. So I hope you saw the truth of this matter we discussed today and the entirety of scripture. God is really not, he doesn't play genie to anybody. As I said earlier, he is God Almighty in command, in large, and in charge. Okay, as I've heard people say in our day and age where we have these different sayings that go around, God is large and in charge. He's the ruler of all. He's not the man, one of my most famous sayings from before I knew God, and they used to, people used to use it in an ungodly way, but I transformed it into a godly term. Okay, God's not the man sitting next to the man. God is the man. He is the one and only God, the creator of all the universe. And he will not play fiddle for us. He will not play genie for us. He won't do that. For he is ruler of all. Slave to none. But he does love us. He loves all of us. And he paid the highest price for all of us with his sacrifice on the cross. He put himself into the flesh of a man and became a human and died on the cross for our sins to pay our sin penalty and to offer us eternal life. But he desires you to walk with him. But here's the key. He desires you to walk with him on his terms, not your own. God says, I make the rules. You follow them. I'm the boss. You're the employee. The employee has no power over the boss. The boss is totally in charge. God is totally in charge. Not bound by anyone or anything except for his word. And I believe today that you saw in his word, the entirety of his word, that God is not a genie. If you believe differently than what we read in God's word today, if you believed or maybe you even still believe that, but you realize that God's word says differently now after all those things that I read over, you know, you realize, wow, I didn't know that, you know, all these things. I didn't know that it had to be God's will. And I didn't know, I mean, but yeah, the Bible says that. I can't, can't argue with that. That's what God's word says. Then would you please, if you believed that way, would you please repent today? And would you please turn your thinking of your mind and stop thinking that way and stop trying to make God your genie and become his slave? Willfully, for that's what a bondservant is. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus too. And you can read the epistles and that's what Paul writes. A bondservant is somebody that willfully puts himself in subjection to the great king. To anybody for that matter. Will you please today put yourself as a bondservant, make yourself a bondservant of Christ and God Almighty, rather trying to make him your genie. You heard what the Bible said. Now will you repent? Will you stop thinking that way about God, that false way about God, and will you turn and think the right ways about God? Honor God by your faith and walk with Him by your faith, but don't try to make Him a genie by your faith. Please repent today. God loves you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for these words of wisdom today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for what your word says to us today. Thank you so much, Lord God, that that truth is there and that anybody that wants can see it, Lord God. This truth is not hidden from anybody, Lord God, in this country of America. Over some of the places in the world it is. I know in Islamic countries the Bible is hidden, the Bible is kept, but 
still, I know that I hear and I pray about all the time, the word of God going into countries more and more and more and more and more and people hearing of it more and more and more. So Lord, thank you for your word that it's getting to the whole world and it's not hidden from anybody anywhere. Lord, I just thank you for that. And I thank you that these truths are for anybody to see and hear and read for themselves. I just pray, Lord God, that if that this message would get into the hands of those that believe this false faith and that they would repent because they would listen to it all the way through and they would hear what the Bible has to say to us, all that the Bible has to say to us, not just cherry-picking scriptures and just believing whatever we want to believe because, well, one scripture said it. Lord, I pray repentance will come to any who hear this message that don't believe in you the right way. And I pray that they would start worshiping you as God and as creator, not as genie. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this message. Thank you so much for my life and just my service unto you, Lord God. And we thank you as Gospel Saving Church. And we love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God. Everyone, it's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015 and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.